from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got good for each other. This is The Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 19th. Thanks for hanging out bright and early this morning. Ahead in the sour, the latest from Seahawks training camp. Pete Carroll with some comments on Jamal Adams, what he's seen from him so far, as well as Jordan Brooks. Got a minor groin tweak, according to Pete. When will he be expected to be back? We got to hear from Will Disley this week, as well as Greg Olson. And uh, the tight end room looking strong, so we'll hear from both of those guys as well. A tough loss for the Mariners yesterday, a day after they put a lot of runs up on the board. Both teams did. Faced off against the Dodgers and lost 2-1. to one. Marco Gonzalez, though, struck out 9 in 7 frames of 5-hit ball for the M's. So pretty good day for Marco. Scott Service saying he couldn't say enough good things about him. We'll discuss all ahead in this hour. And then NBA playoffs continuing in a couple of upsets yesterday. A couple of eight seeds upsetting one seeds in game one. It's all ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Pete Carroll saying there's certainly a love to lo- a lot to love about Jamal Adams on the interception he had in training camp. Here's Pete. You don't need it. You already you should have jumped conclusions when we got him. He's our, he's like a jump conclusion guy, man. He can do all kinds of stuff. It's a great first play for him. You know, down in, in the red zone, he picks one off and takes it back. He he got hammered for his ball security on that on that return by the team, and uh, rightfully so. Ball security needs to be a little bit better on that one, but still saying that it's okay, even with a small sample size, it's all right to jump to conclusions on Jamal Adams. You should have done it when they traded for him. Pete Carroll also with an update on uh, first-round draft pick Jordan Brooks saying he has a minor groin tweak. Just a little bit of a groin thing that he felt um, really slight. I mean, obviously, we want to make sure that we're, uh, you know, we're looking after it. He was in walkthrough today. Um, he won't go today, but um, we, after the day off, he's got a chance to come right back. Will Disley also speaking in the media yesterday, talking about his rehab process from his second season-ending injury. And Pete Carroll mentioning yesterday that Uncle Will, his drive to rehab was unreal. Unfortunately, Will is really good at rehabbing. And, you know, he's had a chance with two big challenges back-to-back. Um, I, I mentioned to you guys earlier that the people that monitored him down in L.A. where he worked out, you know, nine straight months, never missing anything, never being late for anything, has, has led him to the opportunity where he's back out on the field already. You know, he, we're in pads, and he's in there in the first couple plays coming off the football. Um, he's a remarkable person, and in, 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 in the character that, that, you know, drives a guy to overcome those kinds of obstacles and really, uh, you know, good sometimes it breaks guys down. You know, they, they can't find the, the motivation. But Will has been able to do that. Will Disley earlier this week telling 710 about his mentality after that second injury. Yeah, sure. You know, came back from the first injury and, you know, was super excited to get back with the team and we were winning games and, you know, things were high. And then, you know, another fluke deal and you go down and things are real low. And But I think, you know, I'm just, I'm really blessed, man. I, ha- I have a ton of friends to lean on and, and family in the sport of Seattle. And, you know, my teammates really picked me up this time. 
Also in that tight end room, Greg Olson, the veteran, he joined Danny and Gallant yesterday to chat about Wildes coming back from injury. Great to see him working back. Will's done a great job. I mean, I, I, I remember watching, you know, the game where he got hurt last year and just, you know, your heart broke for him. Um, you know, just kind of losing two seasons to injury. You know, I understand what that's like, you know, let alone as a young player trying to build your career. But uh, it's been nice to see him back out there, you know, kind of working his way back in. You, know, you can tell he's done a great job with his rehab this off season. Um, you know, to come back, I don't know, 10 months, 11 months, whatever it is, you know, from an injury like that, um, you know, is pretty impressive. Greg Olson also yesterday saying uh, what's kept him playing a lot of options in terms of broadcasting and things that he could do after football, but he said he felt he had more to prove. You know, I just still feel like I had I had game left. You know, I thought I still had, you know, things to prove, uh, you know, both to myself, but, you know, I thought I could, you know, I thought I had a little work to do to kind of cement myself and, and you know, with my legacy as a player and, and what I brought to, to this league and what I brought you know, to the teams that I've played for. Craig also saying he didn't want his career to end on a bad note. You know, I didn't love the way my last two, you know, two years ago and 2017, 2018 went, you know, with, with getting hurt and being dinged up and not feeling like I was able to be myself and not feel like I was able to go out and play like I had, you know, for the first 10 years of my career. You know, that was kind of a bitter pill to swallow to think that my career would end on, on a note like that. Olsen also saying it wasn't an easy task to rebuild in Carolina, and once they did, it was tough to watch it fall apart. Um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, you know, we didn't just wake up one night and say, oh, we're going to get better now because we're all here. Um, they had a lot of good players in place already that we were able to join and, and just kind of put that thing together and, and mold it, and a lot of that credit goes to Ron and, and his staff and what they were able to do, kind of changing that to a winning culture, a winning city. And... Um, you know, I think guys took a lot of pride in that, and, and to see it all kind of kind of disintegrate over the last couple of years was a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of us, but that's the nature of this game. How about the opportunity to come to Seattle and this organization? And then when the opportunity came to, to play out here, it was just, you know, as I've said before, it was just a really unique opportunity and a really unique circumstance to come out and join a, a winning franchise with a proven head coach and a proven quarterback and so many good pieces that are already here, and if I can just come in and, and do my role and just do my part um, and help in any way, you know, it's a, it's a very talented group. It's a proven, as I said, it's a it's a group that's used to winning. After nine years with Carolina, transitioning to a new place after being somewhere for so long, what's that like? After being in one place for so long, you kind of take for granted that you kind of know what's going on, and every day you have a real good feel. You know, my first couple of days here, it's like you're the new kid at school. You know, every Every meeting is a little different. Every walkthrough is a little different. You know, you're learning a new system. You're learning new people, new players. Um, there's doesn't matter how long you've played in this league. Um, when you change teams and you know, and you and you make a, a transition like that, there's there's always some uh, you know, there's always some issues along the way that you got to kind of adapt to, and uh, it's been a fun challenge. How about the differences between working with Pete Carroll, working with Ron Rivera in Carolina, and then Cam Newton and Russell Wilson as well? Ron and Pete, you know, are very different in, in their approach. And, you know, everything from how you do walkthrough to how, you know, practice script to, you know, how it's organized. So, I mean, I think every coach, I think if you went to the other 31 teams in the league, they would all have, you know, different flow to practice, a different message, a different kind of priority in what they stress. Um, you know, and the same thing with the quarterbacks. I think each quarterback likes 
you know, likes routes run a certain way. They they see things a certain way. They 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 want their receivers to you know see it see it that same way. So I think you know, there's definitely been transition coming here. Greg saying though that you can tell why Seattle is successful. You know, we could have we could have won the Super Bowl the year before. How do we get better? How do we get better players? How do we run the system cleaner? How do we run the system more efficiently? And, you know, in my time out here so far, you know, that's, you know, you can tell why, you know, why they've always won out here. They, the attention to detail from how they run their team meetings to the things they go over to the situations that they cover. Um, you can tell why that there's no, you know, you can tell why that success has been, you know, relatively consistent. Greg Olson also on the tight end group and his assessment of that room. We have a really fun and a really talented tight end group. I'll tell you, um, you know, obviously Will has had success, um, you know, during his time here. And, and Jake, Jacob Hollister last year came in, you know, when guys went down and he came in and, and really had a really good season, made some critical plays, made some game-winning plays, um, you know, a good, tough, athletic, kind of a versatile type guy. Greg Olson also on Luke Wilson specifically and some of the other tight ends. You know, Luke Wilson's a guy who's been in the league a long time. I've known Luke for a few years just being around, and he's um, he's got a great energy to him. He's got a great personality to him, but he can play. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a good group. we got some young guys, you know, a couple young rookies. I know, you know, Colby's obviously not practicing right now, but, but Tyler Mabry and, 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 and Sully, those guys are talented young kids that want to work. So it's a – it's a really it's a really good tight end group that I've I've enjoyed working with and uh, you know we'll, we'll see how things play out. One of the highlights of the virtual off season uh, was having Greg Olson, aka Will Farrell, join a Zoom conference. I think we've got a good tight end group. Uh, Luke Luke Wilson. The only thing I want to tell you is you got to tamp that shit down, okay? That's not how I handle myself. All right. I don't know what you do in the off season up there in Canada, but you know, cut your. Here, let's play some football. All right. What was Greg's reaction to Will Ferrell impersonating him? I'll tell you what. Somebody I know, and I haven't figured out who, had to have had a conversation and gave him some insights because he—I've never met Will. I don't really know him at all. But it was like I've known. It was like he's known me for ten years. I mean, he nailed it. He had all my little sayings. He had, man, he—he he had it all scripted and ready to rock so he he did either did some research or he spoke to somebody that i know well or something because he he had it all he that was that was really funny and it was really well done um that was that was awesome (laughs) coming up next on the blitz a tough loss two to one uh for the mariners yesterday as they fell to the dodgers but a great game for marco gonzalez on the mound uh several strikeouts for marco and seven innings of one run ball Uh, We'll hear from Scott Service on his performance. Also, the biggest story in baseball this week has been centered around uh, the Grand Slam that happened. Fernando Tatis on a 3-0 pitch. We're still getting comments on it. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks training camp coverage all day long. This is The Blitz, powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 19th. It was a tough loss for the M's yesterday, 2-1, to one, a night after an offensive barrage of both sides between the Dodgers and the Mariners. 
This time it was a pitching duel out on the mound and just a cool 102 degrees for opening pitch right down there in L.A. Yikes. Uh, Tony Gosselin for the Dodgers threw six scoreless innings of two-hit ball. Uh, an impressive duel on the opposite side with Marco Gonzalez, who struck out nine in seven innings of five-hit ball for the M's. Gonzalez striking out Chris Taylor, uh, striking out the side to start in the bottom of the second. Pitch and a swing and a foul tip into the glove of Nola for strike three. And Marco Gonzalez strikes out the side here in the bottom half of the second. Four strikeouts for Marco early in this ballgame. What a start for Gonzalez. Uh, also struck out Max Muncy in the bottom of the third for the fifth consecutive strikeout. One-two pitch, Marco deals, breaking ball, and there for a called strike, and Muncy knew it. That's five consecutive strikeouts for Marco Gonzalez, three of them looking. He's on a nice roll. In the bottom of the fifth, Marco notching his ninth strikeout of the game when he got Kike Hernandez. Here's the next offer on the way, a curveball. Swing and a miss for strike three. Hernandez strikes out. That is strikeout number nine for Marco Gonzalez, and that matches his career high. And that's the third time he's done it. The last time he did it, last year in April against the Texas Rangers. What a night for Marco Gonzalez. Nine strikeouts through five innings of play. And then finally closing out the night, getting Max Muncy to ground ground out into a double play. So seven innings of one-run ball for Marco. Comes one. Off the fist, slow roller. A tag being applied by J.P. Throw over to first. They get the double play. Beautifully done. They had the shift. J.P. was on the right side, and he just ran down. The runner, Taylor, tagged him and threw off balance and right on the money to Evan White for the double play to end it. Unfortunately for the M's, the Dodgers able to beat that tie uh, later in the game. Corey, single, Corey Seager singling home Austin Barnes with a tie-breaking runoff to Dan Altavilla in the eighth inning. Barnes, by the way, went two for two with a walk and scored both runs for the Dodgers. L.A. improved to an NL best 18-7, and seven, handed the Mariners their seventh straight defeat. But plenty to love about Marco Gonzalez's performance. And Scott Service saying that, yeah, he can't say enough about him. I don't think you can draw it up any better as far as like what you're looking for young pitchers uh, to emulate and uh, what Marco Gonzalez does in his preparation, uh, his execution, his competitiveness, uh, can't say enough uh, about the job that he did today and continues to do. So uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, it was one of those pitchers duel back and forth. We had a couple chances, uh, guys in scoring position. We didn't get the big hit, but uh, uh, a lot of really good plays defensively. Of course, you know, Kyle Lewis, great play in the outfield. JP again, turns a big double play in the seventh inning. You know, but uh, again, it was going to come down to, to one big hit late, and they got it. They found a hole, and we did not find a hole. Just couldn't get that big hit. But Scott Service saying Marco showed that you don't need a 98 mile per hour fastball to strike everybody out. It's not just somebody out there throwing 98 miles an hour with a, a wicked slider. It is back and forth using both sides of the plate, top of the strike zone, below the strike zone. You know, 20 to 25 first pitch strikes. Uh, you can't you can't draw it up any better. Uh, than what he did today. And I just love the, the demeanor he has when he takes them out. And very, very competitive. And he does have that bulldog in him. And you can see it come out. He really wanted that ball game today. And he really wanted to, to, to shove it against a very good team. And he shut them down. He really did. I loved earlier this year when Marco was asked about a question about Velo. Seems like some pretty good players, pitchers, though, some big guys that throw pretty hard just looking at him. 
Well, Velo isn't everything, and I think I'm a good example of that. <laughs> was a good example of that yesterday. Also, another highlight from that game would be Kyle Lewis continuing to churn those out. How about a leaping catch at the wall to rob Justin Turner of an extra base hit? Here's the pitch on the way. Breaking ball, swing, and a fly ball. Right center, feeling deep. Moore going back, Lewis going back, Lewis with a leap, and he makes the catch at the top of the wall in right center field. Holy smokes, what a catch by Kyle Lewis. Justin Turner way back into the gap, and with a full head of steam, Kyle going back to the wall at the top of the fence, brings it back. What a play by Lewis, one away. And the gif that will live forever would be Kike Hernandez's reaction, his facial expression after that, just super impressed, as were, of course, uh, the rest of the Mariners fans and Scott Service as well. Yeah, he's really played well in the outfield. We all know what he's done in the batter's box and the quality of bats he's brought, but uh, really in the outfield and center field, the ground he covers, uh, the jumps he gets on balls, his routes are very consistent, uh, and he works at it. He's out there early every day. You think, yeah, he's a young guy, likes to hit all the time. Not so much the case. He really wants to be good in, in center field. He takes a lot of pride in it, and it's paying off for him. Uh, Scott Service also saying not the best road trip record-wise, but they're still happy with how they're playing. Also answered a question about their starting rotation. You say Kikuchi will start on Thursday against the Dodgers. Is it safe to say that uh, Kikuchi will start on Thursday? Yes, Kikuchi will start on Thursday, yes. So that's good news for the M's getting him back into the starting rotation. Coming up next on the Blitz, uh, we've heard from Will Disley. We'll hear from him a little bit more as he spoke to the media yesterday, talked about his rehab process. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks training camp coverage all day long. This is the Blitz, powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 19th. And yes, Seahawks two-a-days coverage continues today on 710 ESPN Seattle. So keep it right here all day. In the meantime, yesterday also had some really awesome guests so far this week. We've heard a lot from the tight end room in particular. Greg Olson joining Danny and Gallant yesterday morning. Greg, what's kept you playing? And I, I and I asked that, it's kind of a weird question to ask athletes because nobody asks me why I keep working. I keep working because I have bills to pay and this is kind of what I do. But you're also at a, at a point where you've had this incredible career. You, you were moving on from a place that you had been for a while. You've you've done some work and been a great broadcaster. The thought process for you, what, what made you want to keep playing? And I guess by extension, what made you want to keep playing here in Seattle? You know, I just still feel like I had I had game left. You know, I thought I still had, you know, things to prove, uh, you know, both to myself. But, you know, I thought I could, you know, I thought I had a little work to do to kind of cement myself and, in, in, you know, with my legacy as a player and, and what I brought to, to this league and what I brought, you know, to the teams that I've played for. Um, you know, I didn't love the way my last two, you know, two years ago and 2017, 2018 went, you know, with, with getting hurt and being dinged up and not feeling like I was able to be myself and not feeling like I was able to go out and play like I had, you know, for the first 10 years of my career, you know, that was kind of a bitter pill to swallow to think that my career would end on, on a note like that. Um, but, you know, and then when the opportunity came to, to play out here, it was just, you know, as I've said before, it was just a really unique opportunity and a really unique circumstance to come out and join a, a winning franchise with a proven head coach and a proven quarterback and, so many good pieces that are already here and 
if I can just come in and, and do my role and just do my part um, and help in any way, you know, it's a, it's a very talented group. It's a proven, as I said, it's a, it's a group that's used to winning. You know, winning is not by accident in this league. Um, you know, it's a direct result of the people in charge. It's a direct result of the, of the culture and the organization that they've built. And, uh, you know, to have the opportunity to come out here and be a part of that at this stage in my career was really exciting. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, now that I'm out here, I'm, I'm glad that I did, and I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it's just going to keep, move, keep moving ahead. I know it's a business. Watching that all or nothing with you and with Cam and the injuries that you two were battling through in that season, man, it was it was something else to watch. And the way that it felt like they did both of you guys this offseason, I imagine that's got to be a motivating factor for you the same way it probably is for Cam. Yeah, you know, we, we gave a lot, you know, to that organization. You know, when, when I got traded there and, and they hired Ron and they drafted Cam, you know, all that back in 2011, you know, we had won two games. In 2010, they'd won two games, you know, and they were the number one and had the number one draft pick and took Cam, obviously. And, you know, the run that we were able to take it and the depth that we were able to take it from, um, you know, I know a lot of the guys that were a part of the organization for that nine-year run took a lot of pride in that. Um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, you know, we didn't just wake up one night and say, oh, we're going to get better now because we're all here. Um, they had a lot of good players in place already that we were able to join and, and just kind of put that thing together and, and mold it. And a lot of that credit goes to Ron and, and his staff and what they were able to do, kind of changing that to a winning culture, a winning city. And, um, you know, I think guys took a lot of pride in that. And, and to see it all kind of kind of disintegrate over the last couple of years was a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of us. But that's the nature of this game. You know, we're moving on. You know, I'm, I'm excited to be out here for a fresh start. I'm sure Cam feels the same way up in New England, as do, you know, you know Thomas Davis now up in Washington and, you know, guys around the league. So we're, uh, you know, all good things come to an end. We had a good run. We had a, we had a really unique group of, of guys there that were just good guys and good workers and good leaders. And, uh, you know, we had some success. So we, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't an ideal way, but you knew it was going to end at some point at some point, and uh, that was this year. We're talking to Greg Olson. Just a couple more questions for, for him here before we let him go. Uh, Greg, you mentioned that, that winning is not an accident in the NFL, that it's not, it, 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 it is something that is done by teams and by groups of people. What are the traits, like what are the, what are the habits that, that successful teams and successful organizations have had in your observation? You know, I, I think you don't take things for granted. I don't think... You know, I don't think you just show up. You don't think you're just going to show up because you've won in the past or that you've had success in the past that all of a sudden that means it's going to automatically happen again. I think the hardest thing about winning is to continue to win. And I think human complacency and, and just human instinct says, you know, okay, I've done this before. I've got it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And I think the good programs, the good organizations that you see at, at this level and the college level, they have – you know, a never-ending sense of what can we do to improve. You know, we could have we could have won the Super Bowl the year before. How do we get better? How do we get better players? How do we run the system cleaner? How do we run the system more efficiently? And, you know, in my time out here so far, you know, that's, you know, you can tell why, you know, why they've always won out here. They, the attention to detail from how they run their team meetings to the things they go over to the situations that they cover, um, you can tell why that there's no, you know, you can tell why that success has been, you know, relatively consistent. And um, 
certain people and certain organizations understand that and, and they're never satisfied. And, you know, other, other organizations think that once they have success, they always will. And, and that's, that's the dangerous game. And, uh, that's the human kind of instinct that we're all fighting, you know, individually and collectively as a team and the good, the good players and the good, and the good teams are just in a constant strive for, for perfection, a constant strive for improvement. And uh, always, you know, not saying, you know, what have I done? It's, you know, what, what more can I do? And, uh, you know, that's a very, it's, it sounds easier than it is. Can you believe that Will Disley's out there with you after tearing his Achilles last October? What did you say? Can, can you believe that Will Disley was oh, in that tight end room with, with you? Got it. Yeah, Will's, Will's done a great job. I mean, I, I, I remember watching, you know, the game where he got hurt last year and just, you know, your heart broke for him. Um, you know, just kind of losing two seasons to injury. You know, I understand what that's like, you know, let alone as a young player trying to build your career. But uh, it's been nice to see him back out there, you know, kind of working his way back in. You, know, you can tell he's done a great job with his rehab this offseason, um, you know, to come back, I don't know, 10 months, 11 months, whatever it is, you know, from an injury like that, um, you know, is pretty impressive. So it, it's cool to see him back. It's been fun getting to know him a little bit. We have a really fun and a really talented tight end group. I'll tell you, um, you know, obviously Will has had success, um, you know, during his time here. And, and Jake, Jacob Hollister last year came in, you know, when guys went down and he came in and, and really had a really good season, made some critical plays, made some game-winning plays, um, you know, a good, tough, athletic, kind of a versatile type guy. Um, you know, Luke Wilson's a guy who's been in the league a long time. I've known Luke for a few years just – being around and he's um he's got a great energy to him he's got a great personality to him but he can play and um you know so it's, it's a good group we got some young guys you know a couple young rookies i know you know colby's obviously not practicing right now but but tyler mabry and and and, and sully those guys are talented young kids that want to work so it's a it's a really it's a really good tight end group that i've, I've enjoyed working with and uh you know we'll, we'll see how things play out when when he was asking you about Will Disley, I thought he was going to say, "Can you believe that Will's only twenty four years old the way he looks?" That's what I thought the question was going to be. Instead, he asked about the injury. <laughs> tough crowd, oh, tough crowd. <laughs> Uncle Will is one of our favorites. I, I went to UW and we loved him there. The other part with Luke, Luke is incredibly interesting. He's one of my favorite players on the team. But I, I do hope you've learned you can't talk about anything philosophical or government-based with him, because that guy will go on forever with insane theories. There was a point, well, it, it wasn't a point. For years, he argued with me about the moon landing. He, he claims the moon landing didn't really happen, and it was staged. Yeah. Luke's an interesting guy. I, I really like him, though. He has a really good energy to him and a really good presence to him. He makes things fun. He makes things interesting. He definitely has his own unique set of beliefs, but... uh but he keeps it fun. He keeps it light. I've enjoyed being around him. Um, but yeah, he he has some unique uh, he has some <laughs> unique points of view. We'll we'll put it that way. He is he is fantastic to talk to. The, Why did the last thing you would call him weird though? I heard the last little bit of of Heward. Why yeah, Danny. Who, it was oh, me. You I, him weird or he I called call, him weird. I called him weird because uh, Luke's weird. Oh, okay. Like like legitimately, <laughs> and you can you can he he knows I think that. <laughs> 
Uh, one of our favorites, true. Luke Wilson here at 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up next on the Blitz, it's time for the hot list. The Seahawks claiming a quarterback off waivers from the Falcons. We've also got an update on Jordan Brooks, plus a recap of all the NBA action yesterday. A couple of upsets happening. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks training camp coverage all day long. This is the Blitz, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for the Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! gotten a peek inside training camp uh, and now the season storylines are starting to run. Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL Insider on ESPN Radio this morning on a couple of topics including will the NFL season in his mind start on schedule? Are there concerns surrounding that? When you speak to in each organization the less doubt there is that the season is beginning on time and that there's going to be a season. There's going to be that opener between the Chiefs and the Texans on that Thursday night, September 10th. And a couple of months ago, two, three months ago, I think a lot of people might not have thought that that game would be played, but that game is going to be played barring something unexpected and unforeseen at this point in time. And when you speak to people, there's an actual sense of optimism about the season. They can't believe how much work has gone into this, how much has been done. If you watch Hard Knocks last night or last week, you see what it's like for an NFL team to go through all these protocols to see what they go through each day to put on a practice and to try to ensure that everybody's as safe as they can be. But I think that the more you talk to people, the more you realize they are convinced that there's going to be a football season. We've seen a couple of injuries happen already. Other individuals opt out of the season, but Adam Schefter saying injuries could mirror 2011. If we go back to the 2011 season, when there was a lockout during the offseason and there were no organized team activities and basically players showed up in late July and stepped right into training camp, that year there were more torn Achilles than ever before because I think, in part, there was a lack of an offseason. And I think a lot of people were apprehensive in this year of COVID about what would happen with injuries this offseason or this summer. And already we've begun to see this week, in the first week of padded practices, a number of players go down. You brought up Gerald McCoy. He tears his his quad tendon, which there was an actual clause in his contract stating that if that happened, that the Cowboys could release him without having to pay him his base salary this year. And so they released him one day after he tore his quad and basically had to pay him the $3 million guaranteed bonus they gave him during the offseason, but no more money is owed at this point. Artie Burns, the Bears cornerback, tears his ACL. The 49ers young wide receiver Jalen Hurd tears his ACL. And so we've begun to see this already. And injuries uh, in... Adam Schefter's mind not going away anytime soon because of the new ramp-up period and how things might look different with the preseason. One person who is not lacking for confidence about this season would be Joe Burrow, Bengals' new quarterback. Uh, the number one overall pick says he feels very confident and comfortable. Very confident. I feel very comfortable with the offense right now. I feel very comfortable with my guys. Um, and I think, you know, I think we're going to be pretty good on offense. I'm excited 
more so than nervous, I would say. Uh, uh, also asked if he is nervous. He said, well, have you ever heard me be nervous? Absolutely not. <laughs> have you, uh, you ever heard anything else about me about being nervous? That's a good point. I don't think I have. Just uh, ice water in the veins for him. A couple of eight seeds upset a couple of one seeds yesterday in uh, game one of their NBA playoff series yesterday. First, it was the Orlando Magic harnessing the power of Disney World. I love this tweet from Roger Sherman of The Ringer, basically saying you're going to try to beat the Orlando Magic at their home, Disney World, uh, where the true magic, they harnessed the true power of that location to beat the Bucks 122-110. And uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo after the game saying uh, that they simply played harder and better than they did. The West played harder than us. Uh, they played better than us, but we played hard. Obviously, um, but they made they made shots. Um, they had the momentum. They got uh, when we were coming uh, close uh, back to the game. We set them to the free throw line. Um, yeah, they just played better. I, think, I don't know if they played harder. We got to play harder. So even if they play a better game, uh, we can still win the game. We can still put ourselves in a position to uh, win the game. Markel Fultz, recognize that name, playing for the Magic on the big win. Uh, I think it's big. Again, I think it goes back to us being the underdogs and us just believing in each other. Um, that's all that really matters, you know, as a group. We got to believe in each other. We got to believe we can win each and every game. And we got to go out there and compete like it. And um, I think that's, again, I think that's where it starts, you know, with just our confidence and locking into game plan and knowing that we got a chance to win. This isn't just, you know, he say, she say type of stuff where we listen to the outsiders, you know. We got a group of guys who believe in each other and believe we can go as far as we want to. Later in the day, it was Dane Lillard and the Trailblazers beating the Lakers 100-93 to to cap off the evening, despite a historic performance by LeBron James. Seems like you could say that just about any time, but 23 points, 17 rebounds, and 16 assists, becoming the first player to have as many points, rebounds, and assists in the playoffs. It was his 24th postseason triple-double, and his assists were a career playoff high. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, Dame Lillard had 34 points and once again hot late in that game yesterday. LeBron James on the loss in game one. Yeah, we had a couple breakdowns, which you can't have down the stretch, especially versus a team that's red hot like Portland. And, and those two, you know, the two-headed monsters are the ones who kind of, you know, you know, made the plays. CJ hitting a big uh, big three, Dame hitting uh, a couple threes as well. Um, and then Melo hitting the three late and, and Gary Trent hitting a, a three. So they, they had five threes late in the game. After we had uh, done an exceptional job of trying to keep them off the three-point line. But, you know, they made plays, enough plays to win the game down the stretch, and we didn't. LeBron also on playing without fans in the stand being a different experience. Like I continue to say, this is different. This is different um, in the aspect of just, I mean, we're in a bubble with no fans. Um, But as far as uh, me being locked in on the game plan, that doesn't change. Not one bit. Um, Me uh, going out making plays, um, playing I'm at a high level, try to help our team win. That was the same. Nothing changes from that. Um, You know, so that's the same thing. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN senior writer, talked about she thought Portland would be gassed at this point, having to play that play-in game and just where they've been in the seeding matchups, but I guess not. I was wondering if Portland would have anything left because they've been in playoff mode for the entire eight games. And in that last game, man, against Brooklyn, they looked like they were gassed. Like, they were just... Like, I don't know if they could have played another game against, you know, first against Brooklyn and then against Memphis. Like, they would have had to play Memphis again on Sunday. But I guess they had enough rest. 
Also yesterday, Miami defeated Indiana 113-101. Eric Spolstra, Miami head, uh, head coach, on how they were able to close out that one. Yeah, a couple guys, I don't know if you heard of them, but Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic played uh, in this game tonight. They helped quite a bit. Sometimes it's uh, just the names uh, of, of the guys you have out there that, that can really help, uh, and they did tonight. Both of them made big plays uh, in the fourth quarter. Houston also beating Oklahoma City 123-108. You hate to see it. Darn it. Seattle fans are so bummed about that one. Biggest story in baseball this week. It's not been around COVID-19 tests. Uh, It has been surrounding baseball's unwritten rules. And Fernando Tatis Jr., one of the game's brightest and most fun stars, just 21 years old, playing for the San Diego Padres, hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch earlier this week on a pitch that he apparently missed the take sign on. But uh, Fernando Tatis on why he did swing on 3-0. I was locked in in the game. I was just trying to produce for my team. Uh, you know, that was on me. I didn't look to my third base coach. I've been in this game since since I was a kid, man. And uh, I know a lot of the rules. I was kind of lost on this one. Probably next time I'll take a pitch. He said he was unaware of this particular unwritten rule, but it was weird to see, you'd expect the Texas Rangers manager, their opponent, um, maybe perhaps not being cool with it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of unwritten rules that are, you know, constantly being challenged, I think, in in today's game. So, um, yeah, I didn't like it, personally. Um, You know, when you're up by seven, in the eighth inning, it's typically not a good time to swing 3-0. That's kind of you know the way we were all kind of raised in the game. But you know, like I said, the the norms are being challenged on a daily basis. So just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not right. But uh, I don't think we liked it as a group. Just hate fun, but it was weird to see Jace Tingler, the Padres manager, come out and not fully support his player, uh, saying that he doesn't fully support that and Tatis should have taken that pitch. Probably starts with just, you know, picking up the sign. I think like the, the, the learning opportunity. And and just so you know, uh, a lot of our guys have green light, you know, 3-0. But, you know, in this game in particular, you know, we, we had a, a little bit of a comfortable lead and we're not trying to run up the score or anything like that. And so put on the, the, the take sign and, you know, probably, probably see a strike right there just uh, throw a better pitch on 3-0 and then that wouldn't happen, right? That's an option. Also, don't understand this too because theoretically, you could be messing with the guy's stats and with the guy's ability to make money if those numbers come into arbitration discussion. So, I just really don't get that unwritten rule as well as the rest of them. They're so important, you would have written them down. Fernando Tatis still having fun playing the game that he loves, though yesterday, an incredible stealing of third base that happened. to steal third base is Tatis and they get him Frazier applies the tag and they're coming off the field here are the Rangers we'll see the call apparently was made he is now safe so call stands if you haven't seen that video floating around on Twitter you need to see it because yeah it looks like he is dead to rights but uh, avoids the tag in incredible fashion and Keep doing you, Fernando Tatis. Baseball needs players that are this fun to continue the sport. Um, Seahawks training camp yesterday. We got to hear from Pete Carroll. Uh, what did he make of day one of padded practice? We try to see a lot in, in, in from just one day. You know, just try to. We've been waiting a long time to get these guys out. 
Um, and you really can't tell till they, they really get into play speed and all that. But um, the guys jumped right to it. The transition to wearing pads was no big deal at all. We, we banged around pretty good. And, uh, you know, you, you do, it's, it starts to take shape. And, you, you know, you start to try not to make really conclusive decisions and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but we learned some stuff yesterday. It was good. What, uh, how we would evaluate the offensive line as of now? Yeah, we can see that we have really good depth in terms of the competition. The guard spots in particular, uh, Cedric gives us a, a really classy tackle in the rotation as well. Um, uh, with, uh, Brandon Shell has made a really good first impression as the right tackle. He's exactly what we were hoping he would be. I probably got to tell you that we're, I'm surprised, even though we heard so many good things about Damian Lewis and how he was he would be able to handle this stuff right out of the shoots. He has, so he's right in the middle of, of competition to be a starter, and uh, he's got good guys pushing him. Uh, and, uh, Jordan Simmons and, and uh, uh, Philip Haynes, those guys are those guys are formidable guys. Um, also, we see uh, Jamarco Jones was really giving us a guy that can play in a lot of spots. Um, he he's really can play four spots on the line, um, and he's a good good football player for us. He played very well last year in some tough games and all. So we've got good quality depth, and, and I can't tell you what the story's going to be. You know, the center spot with Posick and, and, uh, um, and, and you see, you'll see Kyle Fuller as well as BJ. It's going to be a wide-open competition. We're going to let those guys go. So... Uh, well, try to settle this sooner than later um, to, to, for the continuity purposes. And, and there's, there's, uh, the center spot is rotating right now as a starter. And so we, you'll, you'll see as we go through this that it's going to be open, though, and, and uh, could make football better, as good as it gets. As good as it gets, according to Pete. Also, really quickly, the guys that have stood out in terms of the pass rush. The three guys on the edge that showed up, um, Bruce had some nice, some nice work. Um, and Benson Mayoa did a nice job. And then we saw some really good stuff out of Alton Robinson. He, he, he came out of it pretty good yesterday for his first time out. Um, shoot, he might have had four or five highlighted rushes during the day, you know, and, and uh, he's just getting started and, and all. But So it was a good first day for the edge rushers, and I think that was what really showed up. That uh, two-a-days coverage for the Seahawks continues today right here on 710 ESPN Seattle, so keep it tuned. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.